0: WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure, exposure, exposure. exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure.
1: Welcome to Impact Exposure. I'm your host for the evening got a full show lined up for you. We're going to be talking about things that are happening around the greater Lansing area. My first guest is Eric. He's from the Great Lakes Folk Festival. How are you doing this evening, Eric? Pretty good. How you doing? Not too bad. Thank you. Why don't you tell us why you're here this evening. Um, share with us a little bit about yourself and uh, the Great Lakes Folk Festival.
2: Okay. I am a seniors communication student at Michigan State. Right now I am a uh, public relations assistant with the MSU Museum. And one of their main projects is the Great Lakes Folk Festival that they put on every year. So.
1: And tell us a little bit about, about the Folk Festival. I know, being a resident of the East Lansing area, I see it, of course, as it comes to town. Um, but for those of, those, those of us who may have not had the opportunity
2: to come by and stop by and see it, tell us a little bit about it. Um, it's a mixture of music, um, crafts, traditions, culture. It's a great event. Um, the event draws on the MSU Museum's research and documentation of traditional cultures and expressions. And the goal of the MSU Museum with this event is to share culture and tradition with a broad audience, which the Great Lake Folk Festival draws every year. All right, cool. Um, What kind of music do you guys have? Um, There's a wide variety of music. Anywhere from old-time banjo, bluegrass, there's some Mexican song music, music from all over the world. It's a great variety. Um, There's something for everyone
1: all right great and uh, I know it does usually take up a large portion of actual like
2: geographically of East Lansing um how many stages are you guys gonna be running on this year will be five music and dance stages it will cover 21 hours of programming across a half mile site so it's a pretty big event we draw about ninety thousand people per year so a lot of people get to share with the tradition and the culture of many different worlds
1: all right great um we talked about uh, where it is east lansing obviously uh what are the dates for the folk festival
2: um, the first day is coming up this friday august 8th um it starts at 6 and will close up around 10 30 p.m and Then on saturday august 9th it'll be from noon to 10 30 p.m and Then sunday the final day which is august 10th it'll be from noon to 6 p.m
1: great um i know there's other stuff around not just music so why don't you share with us all the other things uh guests can get a chance to immerse themselves with in east lansing for the weekend
2: all right, well there's actually a couple um very interesting things that take place. There's the Craftworks, which is an MSU Museum Michigan Traditional Arts Apprenticeship Program that showcases creativity and richness of Michigan's artistic heritage. So basically there's artists that come from all over the state of Michigan and they demonstrate and they perform their craft whether it's, you know, playing the banjo or making a craft, you know, wood carving such as that. So there's a lot of good things. They actually you get to see all the hard work that the artist puts into their, into their pieces, which really makes them, you know, museum type pieces, very quality pieces of, art of work. You know.
1: And we assume this is a event that's open for the whole family. Uh, anybody can come and enjoy it. Correct.
2: Yes, all ages, everybody's welcome. It's a great event.
1: Great. Um, I know also there's food available, and that why don't you share with us a little bit about. That kind of thing, what's available,
2: what we're tasting? Okay, they have we have a uh, we have a Taste of Traditions Foodways, which there's uh, numerous vendors have numerous types of food, anywhere from barbecue, Ethiopian food to Polish food, um what else? Jamaican, Middle Eastern, just a wide variety. Everyone can find something that, you know, they'll like to eat there. It's just a lot of good experiences of tasting different foods from across the world.
1: All right, great. Um I know one of the things we've been pushing around here on our commercials on our p- public service announcements stuff is we're giving out the call trying to get um volunteers and let you guys know that uh you really are desperate for a volunteer. I don't know if desperate's the word but looking still looking for de- volunteers to help fill positions. What kind of positions are available for people who might be interested in uh getting
2: uh, getting involved? Um we're looking for around 400 volunteers that's what you usually have every year. Um, anywhere from just working different tents, information tents, you know, walking around helping people find things. There's some numerous things we need volunteers for to make this um this folk festival run smoothly because we're a nonprofit, so we need all the help we can get. And uh, are there any benefits to being a volunteer? Um, yeah, you get you know free you get free food. Um, you get a ticket stub so you can get food. Um, it's all complimentary, and you know, you get to just work behind the scenes with everything that goes on. So,
1: are t-shirts available this year?
2: Um, yes, t-shirts are available this year. It's one of like the main things. You know, the new design, the Folk Festival t-shirt. So they do have them, and I'll be wearing mine during the festival. So,
1: all right, uh, something I'm just curious about. What maybe you could say, kind of on a more, um, I guess, aesthetic or uh, higher sense of reward, maybe not a monetary reward as far as getting something material like that. Uh, what what do you get from being involved with the Folk Festival personally that others might be able to en- uh, enjoy should they come and volunteer and be a part of the community in this way?
2: Um, I know just being involved in community is what a major part of this folk, uh, folk Festival is and making community strong with East Lansing it's really a big partnership between the City of East Lansing and the MSU Museum and some other um, contributors that make this event very successful, and it's just a great opportunity for people to come visit the city and take in all the, all the scenery. If one wants to be a volunteer, how would they get involved? Um, for more information, or if you wanted to volunteer, you call the MSU Museum at 517-432-4533. Once again, it's 517 432 Four five three three. Is there um going back to the festival in a
1: greater sense, it's called the Great Lakes Folk Festival and I don't know about you personally. I've been sort of around the state, I mean, you know, through family road trips and whatnot growing up, but um I'm not sure I'd call myself a connoisseur of the Great Lakes. Uh, do you feel, as someone who works there, do you think we get a lot of exposure being from this um, one area of just all around, whether it be on the northern side of even Canada and that kind of thing, and then looking around all the states that are touching the Great Lakes, do you feel the festival really brings a taste of everything?
2: I think it does, because there's people from, that travel from the Upper Peninsula, there's people that travel from other states to come share their, I mean, other countries. So it's... V- so many people come from so many different areas, and especially in Michigan, there's so many different places people come from, the east and north, west side of the state, just to come visit this festival, because it's such... It brings a lot of good, different people together, very diverse crowd, and I think it's great. Yeah, um...
1: What about kids? Is there stuff specifically that is for kids? I know uh you know not all music might appeal to the younger ones who get a little restless especially in the august sun so is there something that they can take their people can take their children to that's going to be specifically for them to enjoy and uh that kind of thing
2: yes there's actually a children's area um where kids can make arts and crafts they can learn a little more about the music and a little more about crafts by actually making their own crafts so that's one that's pretty much the main thing for kids that they want they can go to this area and make their own crafts, and bring something home to, so they can remember the Folk Festival and maybe come back to it next year. Awesome,
1: awesome. I know I have gone in the past, like I said, and um, during the evening your they usually opened up some of the festival areas to have uh, late-night dancing. I mean, obviously not late, late, late night, but uh, up until the closing time I had some dance floors, I had everybody out there. Uh, have you uh, had the chance to participate? yourself in a folk festival before or at least in the great lakes folk festival before
2: um, i've never um participated in it really when i was younger i i went there and enjoyed it with my family when i lived in east lansing i was you know in elementary school i don't really remember it a whole lot but i do remember the food and the music and so i kind of have that connection with the folk festival
1: All right. So beyond being a college student, you're right. You said you're a senior. And uh, I'm assuming you're getting some sort of college credit or this is going on a resume or something. What do you really look forward to most beyond that uh, from the folk festival? Is there a particular type of music that you're really looking forward to or are you really in some sort of craft or something like that? Um, What are you looking
2: forward to? um i really i mean i just really think it's a great experience so i can learn and it's really closely related to my major when i want to go into public relations marketing that kind of thing and they offer i mean you can get a lot of hands-on experience like right now you know i'm at a radio station talking about the folk festival so that's one thing you know as an intern you get to do and it's a great experience to learn to learn from so
1: you've been uh sitting with or getting having been involved with the mSU museum and from that aspect as helping put on the folk festival what's it, what's the attitude and what's kind of the aura um, at the i 'm sure there's a lot of anxiety you know making sure everything comes together on time, but the real feeling for why the mSU museum wants to get involved with uh, a folk festival of all things and help participate it or help participate within it
2: okay yeah all the Everything that goes on at the Folk Festival is, we want it to be a learning experience that can also be really fun because you got the music, you can got the dance, you got the food. There's so many things going on so you can enjoy yourself while learning about different cultures, you know, different heritages, and all the music, food, and crafts, and cultural heritage that's presented at the Great Lakes Festival is truly authentic, and that's what we want for our visitors to experience.
1: All right, great. Is there anything else you'd like to share with uh, people out
2: there? Um, Transportation-wise, there'll be Cata Folk Festival routes going on. Uh, If people want to ride their bikes, there'll also be a special bike valet parking area located right in the middle of the Folk Festival. We'll, We'll lock and watch it for you. And also you can drive. There'll be designated parking areas where you can drive around East Lansing and the campus of Michigan State University.
1: Awesome. Uh, once again, to our listeners out there, the Folk Festival begins this Friday, August 8th at 6 p.m., uh, going throughout the weekend. It ends Sunday at 6 p.m. So if you're interested in that, you'll have the opportunity to take uh, take advantage of this, well, opportunity and uh, get involved here in East Lansing. Eric, I want to thank you for joining us today, and we're going to head out to a break. You're listening to Exposure.
2: You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
3: At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
0: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
2: Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact.
0: Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3 And now, back to Exposure.
1: Welcome back to Exposure. My name is George. We're going to be talking still throughout the rest of the hour about events happening around the East Lansing and Lansing area. My next guest is Dan from Flapjack. He's going to be talking about a food drive the restaurant is putting on from August 11th through the 16th. Dan, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Hey, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your relation with F- um,
3: Flapjack? Uh, I've been with the company on, on and off since uh, 1990. I work as a manager. Um, I worked at uh, the South Cedar locations where it started uh, back in 90. Um, we've actually moved that location. We've outgrown it. We've done, we're have about a half mile down the road now. I've worked at the Waverly uh, location, Traverse City location, and I've actually been at this South Cedar location twice. So quite knowledgeable in uh, our restaurant and the way we do things.
1: I've seen, I know, our. look. The, the closest one I know is Flapjack. I don't think I've actually ever been to Flapjack. Well, you're missing but out. <laughs> I, know, I know it's one of the restaurants that's been uh, in the area for quite a long time, in fact, as far back as I can remember, yeah. and I've lived here my entire
3: life. Yep, we've been here probably 30 years. The Frandor location was the first one. They've, they've been here close to 30 years. And then the Cedar location has been here close to 25. So, yeah,
1: we've been in the area quite a while now. Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the food drive you guys are putting on?
3: Uh, it's the August 11th through the 16th. Uh, all proceeds are going to the Greater Lansing Area Food Bank. Uh, we're working with the Garden Project. They kind of set up the whole deal. They're going to they're the ones dropping off their uh, these big barrels of, like soup cans. Uh, they oversee 22 of the uh, food banks in Lansing area, so they're going to distribute it evenly or however they do it um, uh, during that week. When you drop off any non-perishable item, we're going to be giving away beverages. Uh, almost everything we've got on our menu, excluding a couple things. It'll be all of our sodas, coffee, tea, stuff like that. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun for a good cause. Uh, there's going to be more going on on that Saturday that we're hoping for a big turnout on that Saturday. We've got a lot planned. We've got clowns coming out. We've got a thousand ice cream cups we're going to give away. The owner's donating those himself. Uh, we've got uh, back to school supplies, hundreds of notebooks, uh, pens, pencils. Uh, we're going to have backpacks. We're gonna have drawings for some uh, gift cards to our restaurants, and drawings for those backpacks, which are gonna be loaded with school supplies. So, Great. F- you know, helping out the kids at the same time. So,
1: excellent. And how can people participate in the
3: f- food drive? Uh, just drop off, like I said, any non-perishable food item. If you don't maybe want to do that, or maybe you didn't know what was going on when you stopped in, we'll have envelopes there from uh, the Greater Lansing Area Food Bank for check, money order, cash, uh, and it'll be uh, you know safe and uh,
1: secure. We all di- going directly to that cause. Great. Is this the first time Flapjacks put on such an event? Yes, it is. And what got, um if you know, what got Flapjack kind of involved in a kind of a giving back sense?
3: Uh, well, we want to get more involved in the community, not just the south side. Like I said, all the Flapjacks have been, uh, you know, we're, we're on the east, west, and north and south end, and uh, we were previously in uh, Dewitt, but you know, we want to get involved in the community and not, like I said, not just the south side, including East Lansing. We know a lot of MSU students come into. Uh, uh the flapjack restaurant and uh, uh east grand river so uh we got really inspired by that uh, uh food drive that was last month sam's club held mm-hmm. it was quite a huge turnout and we kind of just inspired us to do the same sort of thing i think sure. i'm sorry go, go ahead. ahead go ahead uh, <laughs> i just think uh you know people should be a little more charitable not only mm-hmm during the uh, holiday season, you know, all year round, why not, you know.
1: That's actually something to... I, was, I got the information on why you were coming in, and one of the things I wanted to wonder is that this is kind of what you might call a peculiar time to have such a food drive, I right, know, right. Um, having been a Boy Scout myself and been involved with community service. Of course, once Christmas time comes around, everybody goes out. You yep. uh, know, everybody wants to volunteer and that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I I mean I believe it is important to do it. And yeah,
3: other that's the times message we're just really trying to get out there. Is like be charitable, you know, any day of the year. You know why? And I know sometimes during the holidays people they just feel like it, but you know I feel like it any time of the day. You know any time of the year. So just trying to get that word out and you know and especially now with the economy, people are hurting out there. Families are hungry. Gas prices are not helping. So. Any little thing anybody can do to help really makes a difference, you know.
1: Is Flatjack uh, looking to inspire other companies in the Mid-Michigan area yep. to hold either hold their own drives yep. or donate and that kind of thing? Yep, and absolutely.
3: Um, Actually, do, we're hoping that maybe if this goes over well, that you know, even if it doesn't, you know, it's all going to be 100% positive, whatever happens. But you know, maybe a, a toy drive later in the year, uh, you know, a coat drive, or you know, whatever. We're open to it nowadays. So hopefully, this inspires other companies to do the same sort of thing.
1: Right. Is there any, uh, or is uh, Flapjack in the future possibly going to reach out to other organizations, try to bring more in, start some sort of larger coalition to...
3: Well, yeah, like I said, we'll see
1: how this goes. We've got
3: a lot of uh, help, actually, from some local companies. I don't really want to get into the names of them right now because it's it's all about the food drive, and that's that's the main thing. But uh, they've uh, been very helpful with uh, uh, just little things here and there, you know, and most of the stuff that we've done so far we've gotten for free. So we really appreciate all the people that have helped.
1: Let's talk a little bit about exactly what you guys are looking for. Non-perishable food items can always... Um, can vary, uh, Can vary <laughs> exactly, whether it just be just canned goods or dry goods or that kind of thing. What are you guys looking for specifically? And are you accepting items other than just food? Say, like you said, sometimes uh, people accept coats, you know, that kind of right.
3: thing. Right now we're just we're concentrating on the food because it is with the, the food bank, um, like I said, if people would like to help us out with the, uh, the the school supplies we've purchased with our you know out of our own pockets, and some of the companies have helped us, some of the local people have helped us with purchasing some of this stuff. But I mean, we've got a lot, but you know, a little bit more wouldn't hurt. So if anybody wants to maybe donate school supplies, and you know, whatever we don't maybe give away, we'll give to the food bank, and I'm sure they can find a some place to disperse it. So
1: great. Um Tell us a little bit, if I'm George coming into Flapjack to uh, get some Flapjacks. Okay. What exactly, and I have my can of beans. What? How exactly <laughs> do you guys, can I just bring it in and there's going to be a large kind of container I can put it in? Yep, or yep. do you guys accept um, only so much from a person? Or oh, give no. Us some no, bring one
3: can and it doesn't, bring ten cans, it doesn't matter, you know. Anybody that walks to the door with, uh, like I said, an item gets a free beverage. Um, on that Saturday, I'm sorry, Uh We'll be giving out beverages. On that Saturday, uh, uh, we're going to have a tent outside where we can have a second donation or a uh, collection area. And then uh, there will be people out there working, and uh, we'll have beverages out there as well. So if you don't want to come in, maybe you don't want to eat, maybe you just want to drop off some stuff, you can do that on that Saturday. So.
1: And tell us, I know you mentioned clouds and stuff for kids. Tell us a little more about what's going on Saturday, because that seems to be where the main focus is. That's the big day. Yep,
3: we got, uh, like I said, tons of back-to-school stuff we want to give away to kids that come in with their parents and eat or whatever. Uh, clowns are going to come in. They're volunteering their time. They're going to be there between 11 and 1. We've got over 1,000 ice creams, these uh, little ice cream cups, actually from the MSU Dairy. So we're giving all that away. We're having a drawing for a couple of uh, gift cards. Available. They're good at our restaurant, and they're going to be a good a good amount. It's not going to be 5 or 10 bucks. It's going to be a good amount. Oh, great. And then we got three very nice backpacks, not the cheap ones. <laughs> I know some, some of them are five bucks and some are fifty, and we got some good ones. Great! And We're gonna load them with supplies, and we're gonna have a
1: drawing for those. So. And when you're giving away to kids, is it gonna be a drawing type format or the games? Just, or? just
3: for the uh, the backpacks is gonna be the drawing and the gift cards. But the other stuff, we're gonna make up a little bag with uh, all the school supplies in it, and uh, kind of distribute <laughs> them evenly, hopefully. So. Awesome. Uh well Dan is there anything else you want to share with us? No, I just it's August 11th to the 16th. Our phone number is 517-699-5532. If you have any questions, we got a stack of flyers. You're welcome to stop in and grab one to get some more information, you know, pass them out, you know, to your coworkers, your family, friends, and then
1: uh, like I said Saturday we we're really hoping for a, a big turnout. It Should be a lot of fun. And I, I think you might have mentioned it, but I forgot. Which location is this, or is it L locations? It, it's
3: it's just the Cedar location where we're doing the big deal. But if you happen to drop it off at uh, the Frandor location or the Waverly one, they will accept it, but they're, um, it's it's a little different there. But um, like I said, the South Cedar location is the, the one we're doing it at.
1: Awesome, Dan. Thanks for coming in Thanks and sharing having. with us. Um, everybody out there, just so you know, that food drive is going on from August 11th through the 16th at flapjack on the south cedar location bring in all your non-perishable food items if you would like to donate you're listening to exposure on the impact
2: you're listening to exposure on 88.9 the impact Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
0: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
2: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
0: Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893 3 And now, back to Exposure.
1: Good evening. My name is George, and you're back with Exposure here on 88.9 The Impact. We're going to be talking this evening a little bit about Lansing and East Lansing area activities going on and other events. On the phone with me now is Pat from the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame. She's going to be talking about us, talking to us about some new exhibits, events, um, their need for some volunteers, their mission, and other things. So welcome to the show, Pat. Thank you. Well, why don't you tell us first of all about your background with the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame?
4: Okay. Well, I'm the assistant director here, and um, I come from a museum background. So basically I'm the curator and marketing person and a little bit of everything.
1: And why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of the uh, historical center itself. I know of the Michigan Historical Center, but I don't believe I've ever actually heard of the Michigan Women's Historical Center.
4: Well, we've been in our building, uh, which is at 213 West Main Street in Lansing, for uh, over 20 years now. And we are Michigan's only museum that's dedicated to women's history. And within our building, we have a couple of different galleries. Uh, We have history galleries. And we have an art gallery as well, which we focus on the art of Michigan artists, Michigan women artists.
1: Great. Um, some events that you guys got coming up, what, what could we look forward to?
4: Well, um, right now we're in the midst of, of two exhibits. Um, we have one on Michigan women in Olympic history. We call it Faster, Higher, Stronger. And uh, when I started doing the research for that, I didn't realize how many women from Michigan had participated in the Olympics, but there are about 100 wow. women, and some of them are really at the top uh, of, you know of Olympic competition. You probably heard of Sheila Tarmina. She's being um, touted right now in the news because she's the world's first woman to compete in three distinctly different sports at the Olympics. And she's going to be there as a pentathlete uh, in Beijing, although she's also participated as a triathlete and as a swimmer, for which she won the gold. So know, um, she's just one of 100 women from Michigan who've really stood out in Olympic competition ever since the first Michigan woman who participated in 1920.
1: And uh, you said there were two two exhibits you guys were working on. What's that second one?
4: The second one is in our art gallery. It's called Chemscapes, and it's a really unique photographic exhibit by a woman named Pam Gleave, who's an artist from Olivet, and she takes chemicals and chemical solutions, and then she heats them and cools them until they crystallize, and then she photographs them through microscopes, and they result in these really colorful and dramatic and and modern abstract images. Um, You know, sometimes they look like feathers, and other times they look like landscapes or planets or, or whatever. They're just amazing and uh, we've had a lot of good response to that exhibit because it's just so different.
1: That's, that's a really interesting. Um, how often do you guys change these exhibits? Well, with our
4: history exhibits, because they're so time intensive and so much research to do and, and artifacts to gather, like for this Olympic exhibit, we've got uh, memorabilia from six or seven different women uh, for, for the Olympics. Um, those we change about every six months. And so we'll have this Olympic exhibit through the end of the year. The art exhibits we can change more frequently, and we do that between two and four months uh, at a time. Um, we're after this woman's art leaves us, we're going to have a watercolor exhibit, and then we'll have a quilt exhibit, and then the first thing next year we're going to have a unique exhibit. We're, we're going to have a, a young artist who is just starting a master's program in art at Eastern Michigan, and she and her mother are going to do an exhibit together. And she takes um, she, she takes objects as well as human beings, and she wraps them in clear packing tape, and then she somehow slices you out of that. And then what's left is sort of this shell of you. and. Uh, and she you know arranges the you arranges you in a different pose and then you are kind of frozen in time in this plastic shell that she's created uh, of you so i think that would be really un- unique
1: yeah, that definitely, I mean, with that and the, uh, the chem, chem exhibit, I can't remember the full name of it, but chemscapes. chemscapes, it definitely does sound, uh, like art exhibits that you definitely don't normally see. You know, it's not just even, even to say abstract art, which can kind of breach the boundaries of traditional art. This definitely sounds like you guys are going into some new areas, really bringing in interesting art that's not just, you know, a painting of somebody on wall, not to knock down paintings or, <laughs> but, um, stuff that's new is going to be interesting
4: we try to mix it up and we you know we appeal to 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 men and women but obviously mostly women tend to come to see our history exhibits and uh, um, so we try to you know not only appeal to to the older crowd that that has been members of our museum for years but you know drawing younger people and certainly students and we welcome students coming from msu um, to see our exhibits
1: great why don't you talk a little bit about the overall mission of the Women's Historical Center, um, the history of the women's part of it itself. Uh, sure. Has it, I'm not sure. I know I've come to the Michigan Historical Center since I was, I don't know, in fourth grade or something. We go on <laughs> field trips. And I know it's been there. Has the Michigan Women's Historical Center been there that long? And yeah. what started it?
4: Well... Our parent organization is the Michigan Women's Studies Association, which was a group of academics um, that was actually founded at MSU um, for the purpose of advancing what was taught and thought about women in Michigan schools. And as a project of that organization, they felt they wanted to extend what they were doing in the classroom to the broader public, so they decided to found a museum. And um, they created something to help them do that as a fundraiser called the Michigan Women's Hall of Fame. Most people, if they've heard of us, they've heard of that element of our museum. And um, for about five years, they ran this Hall of Fame, or they they inducted women into this Hall of Fame and had a big dinner each year as a fundraiser, and that enabled them to restore an old house in Lansing and then create the museum. And we continued to, to maintain the Hall of Fame, and it grows by eight to ten women each year, and um, at this point in time, we're in our 25th year of the Hall of Fame, and we have almost 250 women in it. And it's both historical women, uh, contemporary women, um, and... It's, those women are nominated by anyone. It's a very democratic process. Anyone around the state, or for that matter, around the country, can nominate a woman that has some Michigan ties that they think is worthy of recognition on the state level. And uh, those nominations are judged by independent panels of judges. And then, uh, as I said, about you know seven to ten, seven, eight, ten uh, are inducted each year into the Hall of Fame, and plaques are put up. Uh, They tell you a little bit about their lives in our Hall of Fame as well as on our website.
1: Mm -hmm. Why don't you? I know growing. I mean, we were taught in grammar school some Michigan history, hence the field trip to the Michigan Historical Museum and that kind of thing. But why don't you tell us about we don't what we don't always hear sometimes? uh, Who some of these women that are entering uh, this Hall of Fame are. Typically, i We just. I don't see in the news every day, you know, new woman who's really on a national scale, say, except for in politics. So, who are some of your favorite um, entries into the Hall of Fame? And tell us about some of these Michigan women who have really made a change in history that people should know about.
4: Okay, well, all the big names are there that you might expect. I mean, obviously, Governor Grandholm being the first woman governor of our state, someone like that is is in the Hall of Fame, but also. Um, Uh, the woman who was the founder of our state park system, uh, whose name was Genevieve Gillette. um, She has a connection to MSU. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, her name may not be as as well-known as Governor Granholm's, but most people who enjoy our state parks would say that what she did was an important thing, too. Um, In this year's uh, induction class, um, probably my favorite person is Jane Johnston Schoolcraft, and she was a a woman who... uh, was a was prominent up in the Sault Saint Marie area on Mackinac Island um, during the fur trade area era. So this is we're talking in the early 1800s, and she was her father was Irish and her mother was an Ojibwa uh, Indian, and her grandfather was an Ojibwa chief. And uh, Jane married a a man who was an Indian agent named Henry Rowe Schoolcraft, for which a number of things are named in the state of Michigan, including Schoolcraft College. Mm-hmm and in addition to his work for the federal government um, he worked with Jane to take down uh, ojibwa legends and songs and stories and put them in book form and publish them in in magazines so that the ojibwa in, in language and and in, in culture and by extension the larger native american culture would be um, known to the the broader u.s. public um, and he is often given credit for doing all of the work But history has proved, and research has proved, that, you know, without her translating and sharing these stories with him, these stories would never have been published. So um, she's now viewed as the first Native American literary writer. So I think it's wonderful that, you know, 300 years later she's getting her view as as really a literary figure of, of great importance, not only in Michigan, but nationwide.
1: Great. Um, let's get back to Jennifer Granholm and to a larger extent, Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm sure as you're, as a women's historical center and being dedicated to women, uh, there's stuff you'd want to, or information or, um, comments that you want to, teach the next generation of women growing up and um in today's society we often do hear a lot about how girls are not so active in science and not so active in math and kind of take a back seat because of the social structure um to guys and that kind of thing what would you like to tell women out there who are up and coming be in the um teens, young college women, um, the tweens, uh, those kind of girls growing up that, and from your background of saying that women do have importance and actually, um, I don't know, are highlighting that into a, glo- uh, a Hall of Fame.
4: Well, the the Hall of Fame, whether you come and see it in person or whether you look at it online, um, that really serves to to uh, inspire women of all ages <laughs> um, to do more and to to be all they can be if I can borrow from the army um, and we do have quite a representation in the Hall of Fame of women in math and science and engineering um, just just for that purpose because we think it's important that women are recognized for you know both traditional and non-traditional skills and um, you'll see that as you look through the women who are in that in that Hall of Fame, that it's you know it certainly fields that women have they always excelled in like education or healthcare, um, but it's also in fields like you know chemistry or mathematics that you might not expect some of the most important women uh, statewide or some of the most important figures statewide in those fields have been women, and they're recognized in the Hall of Fame.
1: Looking toward the future, what is in the future of the Michigan Women's Historical Museum and Hall of Fame? Are you guys looking to expand, um, bring in new exhibits? Uh, how do you want to get the community involved? What's in the future?
4: Um, well, we're we're in a bit of a transition right now because our, our director, who has been our director for 21 years, um, is retiring. And so we're bringing on a new person to, to lead the organization. Um, so we're really... Not sure where, we I mean, were sure we'll continue, but we're not sure in what veins we'll, we'll um, choose to, to focus in the future. So it's an exciting time um, to see what a new person, ideas a new person might have. Um, but it's a challenging time too, so we want to make sure that everyone's <laughs> comfortable, knows that we'll, we'll still be there, <laughs> we'll still be the, the resource that, that people expect of, us to be statewide. Um, but we are bringing in New management, so to speak, and we 're looking forward to the new ideas that that person might bring
1: now, I know the historical or women 's historical center is looking for volunteers. why don't you tell us a little bit about what volunteers can do if they, if they volunteer the benefits of being a volunteer and how people can get involved
4: well we We run a number of events, probably fifteen or sixteen events um, throughout the year for which it 's always you know, we're always looking for volunteers. For for instance, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, um, that is quite a large event and it requires a lot of, um, of labor, so to speak, labor-intensive. So if anyone is interested in, you know, volunteering to work that event, um, you know, we certainly would welcome that. Um, on a day-to-day basis, um, we look for uh, tour guides, um, particularly on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, when we're open to the public and um, those people obviously welcome anyone who comes to the museum, gives them an orientation to the building and to what's there, uh, particularly the changing exhibits, and then is available to answer any questions uh, that a visitor might have. So that's something that, you know, every Saturday and Sunday we we are open and we need someone to, to uh, we need some people <laughs> to come and be there and really be the you know the face of the museum to the visitors on the weekends
1: and uh, if somebody does want to get involved who can they contact where can they get a phone number or some information or can they just stop by
4: well they can contact me pat (laughs) matrix at the historical center and um, our phone number there is five one seven four eight four one eight eight oh we do have office hours through the week Uh, we're there from eight till four monday through friday and someone is always there to talk to to anyone as well, um, and we have a website, so we you know hope people will look at that too and and glean whatever information they need from that. Um, that's MichiganWomen'sHallOfFame.org. So um, so any number of ways: stop in, call, or check our website.
1: All right. Um, is there anything? Once, well, we did talk. Sorry, we did talk about those events that you guys carry on throughout the year. What's the next event that you are hosting or putting on, and where can people find that?
4: Uh, our very next event will be an art exhibit opening on September seventh. Um, that will be that's a Sunday. That will be from two to four p.m. and that's when we'll be introducing our new exhibit on watercolors um, by an Oklahoma artist named Gretchen Foster. Um, so that's coming up most immediately, um, but our Hall of Fame dinner is October 15th, so those are um, two big things that are coming up in the next couple of months.
1: Mm-hmm. As you're talking about these uh, events and the exhibits you put on, that kind of thing, what's what I'm thinking in my mind is that there seems to be a lot of mid-Michigan women who are doing amazing things that you just don't notice. Um, I'm always surprised because it doesn't seem to me, I mean, maybe it's just myself and my relation with the art community, community um, but I'm just surprised to always hear that there's an artist from here, there's an artist from there, and they're doing such groundbreaking and new art, and they're um, accomplishing things and getting well-known. Could you speak to a little bit about how Michigan's women are actually very active and they're making a difference, not even if they're not necessarily in the Hall of Fame, but how um, women are getting out there and achieving the same kind of things that might have just been attributed to men in the past?
4: Well, certainly the art gallery is a good example of that. Our um, parent organization decided to put an art gallery in our building because at that time, 21 years ago, it was very difficult for women to... To be allowed to exhibit their art in Michigan, it was mostly men whose art was exhibited. Um, luckily, that has changed, and now women do not have any problems, um, you know, having doors open in art galleries for their work. So, you know, we feel like we we were maybe at the beginning of that and helped to usher that in, and and uh, and now, you know, women are just accepted as artists as men were in the past. So that art gallery is one example of that, but we also try, through our history exhibits, we try to always illustrate that, you know, here's here's something that you might typically think of in, in terms of a, a profession that men have excelled in, but here's what women have done. Prior to the Olympics exhibit, we had one on uh, Michigan's lady lighthouse keepers, and Michigan has the most lighthouses of any state in the union and have a, uh, a lot of people in Michigan are very interested in lighthouses and they know, uh, maybe even know a bit about some of the men who served throughout the state as keepers, but not many people realized that there were 50 women who served as lighthouse keepers as well during that time and and did the job as well and in some cases better than, than the men that they replaced. <laughs> so... Um, you know, without kind of getting up on a soapbox and, you know, saying we're better, we're better, it's not that, but it's certainly saying, you know, we are, we're equal. And and see how women, even in the earliest years of our state's history, as with, you know, Jane Johnston Schoolcraft, um, women were were there and they were pioneers and they were leaders and they still are.
1: Yeah, that's definitely um definitely important. It's good you guys are getting out there. Do you, does your organization um get in touch or work with other states women's historical centers? Uh do other states have such organizations? Do only some? Is it something that's up and coming around the country? What's the status nationally for these types of things?
4: Well, I can tell you as far as our Hall of Fame goes that we were the first um State in the Union to have its own separate Hall of Fame for women. There is a National Women's Hall of Fame. It's in Seneca Falls, New York. Um, but we were the first state to... to- develop that and to, and to develop a museum around that. So we were really, you know, kind of a leader in that field. And even today, there, there is not a museum dedicated to women's history in every State of the Union. In fact, we just had a visit two weeks ago from a group of women in Indiana who are looking at our organization and saying, we'd like to start something like that in our state. So, you know, our museum is 21 years old and our Hall of Fame, 25 years old. And these women in Indiana are just thinking about it, you know, thinking about starting something like this. So, um, you know, women's history isn't represented equally, you know, across the board, state by state.
1: That's too bad.
4: We're proud to be a leader.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am. I was just thinking, it's very surprising to myself that um, how forward Michigan seems to be and how, how we seem to be groundbreaking, really both recognizing women and how our women seem to have been really making a difference in uh, the past of both the state and the country and the world. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience this evening?
4: Well, um, I guess one thing I'd like to do is encourage people to go to our website and look at the Hall of Fame, and if they can think of anyone that they would like to nominate to the Hall of Fame, um, do that, because, um, it, you know, as I mentioned, it's totally democratic. It's whatever nominations come in are, ju- are the ones that are judged, it's not, you know, we don't seek out people for the Hall of Fame. It's whoever the public thinks should be in there. And everyone has a different opinion. And even now, you know, 25 years later, you'd be amazed at what women still have not <laughs> gotten into the Hall of Fame that that you would think, you know, would be there. So, um, you know, we just really want to encourage people to grab the nomination form off the Internet and, and just, you know, fill it out if you know of someone who has a tie to Michigan. There are areas in the Hall of Fame that that really could stand more representation, like the arts or athletics. Um, So, you know, grab that nomination form and fill it out, and who knows, maybe the person you nominate will be in the Hall of Fame next year.
1: Definitely. And that website, again, is michiganwomenshalloffame.org. Thank you, Pat, uh, for joining us from the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame. They're located located at 213 West Main Street in Lansing. Their phone number, or Pat's phone number is 517 484 one eight eight zero. If you're interested in getting involved, volunteering, or just need some information, and their office is open eight to four Monday through Friday. Right now, they're currently exhibiting two exhibits: the Michigan Women in Olympic History and uh, Chemskates, a photography art exhibit. And thank you again, Pat, for joining with us. You're listening to Exposure on eighty-eight point nine The Impact.
2: You're listening to Exposure on eighty-eight point nine The Impact.
0: And now, back to Exposure.
1: Good evening, this is George, back again with Exposure, here on 88.9 The Impact. We're going to finish out the rest of the hour, just continuing on the topics, events that are going around in the Lansing and East Lansing area. Up next, my next guest is Deborah from the R.E. Olds Museum to talk about the Car Capital Celebration. Good evening, Deborah, and welcome to Exposure.
5: Hi, George. Thank you for having me.
1: Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relation with the R.E. Olds Museum?
5: Well, I'm Executive Director, and I've been at the R.E. Olds Museum for 11 years now.
1: And tell us a little bit about the R.E. Olds Museum for those of us who haven't gotten a chance yet to visit the museum or know anything about it.
5: Well, uh, we are often called Lansing's best-kept secret. We have over 60 vehicles. A lot of people can't tell that from the exterior of the building, but we have three galleries. And we have all different types of vehicles, anywhere from Old Star, uh, and we have an uh, aviation exhibit also.
1: Wow. Um, What kinds of stuff or events does the museum have going on that people can get involved with?
5: Well, this Saturday we're having our Car Capital Celebration, and uh, it's one of our uh, favorite uh, events. We are down on uh, Michigan Avenue between Marshall and Foster. We'll be there from noon to 11 p.m. Uh, we have all kinds of classic cars that will be coming. Last year we had over 300. Uh, we'll have live bands. Uh, we have a, a beer tent. Uh, we also have other beverages, soda, water, and a great, great time. Uh, the, it's also a community event.
1: And what kind of, uh, celebration is this? Is this where people drive in their own cars or do you guys just drive out the cars that you have or what's kind of the format?
5: No, actually we, we, we bring a couple of our vehicles. We bring our, uh, 1928 grain truck and we use that to haul down, uh, all the equipment that we need. But then we also have an 08 Rio and an 06 Oldsmobile that we give rides in. And, uh, what this is, is a, it's a car, uh, show for any type of car. It doesn't have to be an olds or anything like that. Um it's just people bring their cars, uh, and everybody just enjoys the, the beauty of the old classic cars.
1: So you're saying I can bring my 92 Ford Escort and, uh, show it off? You sure can. <laughs>
5: We've actually had, uh, I think it was a 2006 CTS, and it's come back every year.
1: Wow. <laughs> I... But
5: but we have a lot of classics like Mustangs, uh Corvettes, uh they have the Fiero club that comes down just a lot of different vehicles
1: cool uh why don't you tell us i mean when you say lansing's best kept secret i think that's really true uh, having been a lansing resident my entire life and having never heard of this museum until i picked it up and it's being something that sounds like i would like to uh definitely take a look at why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of the museum itself and uh its continuing mission to do whatever you guys do
5: okay well our mission is to share the secrets and the, uh, the, the experiences that the automobile industry and transportation industry has given to the people. Um, Eli Olds was, uh, of course the first inventor of the Oldsmobile and, uh, if it wasn't for Oldsmobile, I think, uh, Lansing probably would be, uh, not on the map. Uh, but we also have, uh, a lot of the history. We've got the very first Oldsmobile, which is from 1897, and then we also have a 2004 Alero, the very last one off the line. Uh, we have uh, just, gosh, so, so many wonderful things. These are classic cars. We've got um, the, the 30s, the 40s. We have a 38 uh, REO Speedwagon Fire Truck. We have um, two electric cars, one from 1896, and then the EV1, which was GM's electric car, back in 1996. So almost 100 years apart on it, um, but it's amazing how much they are similar. Uh, The museum was uh, founded by several people that believed that uh, Oldsmobile's name and the transportation museum, or transportation name, needed to be carried on back in 78, and then they actually opened in 1981, and, uh, over the years we've grown. Uh, we've grown quite a lot. Uh, I started volunteering in 1997 during the Oldsmobile Centennial, and it just got into my blood so much I haven't gone away.
1: <laughs> now, it sounds like, um, your collection, I know you've mentioned a number of, um, American cars. Are you exclusively, uh, holding on to American stuff or do you bring in cars from all kinds of makers?
5: Well, what we do is we try to bring something interesting to the people that they'll want to come down and see in addition to, the, mu- to the, the museum's collection. So every three months we have a new exhibit. We have what is called a rotating exhibit. And I've had motorcycles down there. I've had uh, the, the NASCARs down there. Um, just anything that will really bring the people's interest besides having our collection itself.
1: All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the aviation collection?
5: Okay. Well, a lot of people don't know that uh, they actually built uh, airplanes in Lansing, and um, they they did. We And then there was also during the war years, of course, uh, GM or Oldsmobile had switched over to making equipment for the war. And um, just, just a lot of different uh, things. We've got parachutes back from uh World War 2 we have uh, ammunition shells we actually have uh you know when when people used to think that they could fly and they put these wings on themselves and and jumped off a cliff um it's called Batman and we have uh, one of the actual ones that is uh hanging from the ceiling and it, just to give you an idea how quick these people were um he had a fire extinguisher strapped to his leg <laughs> now, if I'm using my arms to flap those wings, I'm not going to be able to re- reach a fire extinguisher.
1: <laughs> that's great.
5: <laughs> so, a lot of a lot of different interesting vehicles and uh, history.
1: Um, there's one question that's been dying in my mind since I knew you were going to be on the show this evening. Okay. There are a lot of. I look out in the parking lot today, and I see a lot of you know new cars, a lot of modern cars. You know, the last ten, twenty years. What cars do we see around today that you think will be in a museum like this, say, 50 years from now? Because I know or I assume that people back then didn't expect that their cars would be featured so much uh and glorified so much as they are today and loved so much by people. What do you think? Are we going to see a Chevy Malibu 50 years from now in a uh, museum like this?
5: Oh, yeah. I am sure that we will. We actually have a Chevy SSR in there. And uh, even though you know that's that's really not an antique vehicle, it's actually a vehicle that's no longer made, and people are very interested in that. So, um, I yes, I, I think that there's going to be a long history. Um, right now, it's kind of the attitude that everything is disposable, including the cars. You know, uh-huh. uh, you, you lease a vehicle instead of actually purchasing a vehicle because it's disposable. Well, you know, we're we're starting to find out that, you know, that's not really a, a good thing for uh energy, for the ozone, et cetera. So uh I think we're gonna see a lot of different amazing things in, in thirty years. Um uh, but we'll look back and go, Oh wow, just think they had those gas cars back then. So yeah, it'll continue on.
1: With this might be kind of a touchy, a little more touchy question, but with uh, the way the times are and with the energy, like you said, and um, with both Michigan and the country's economy and auto manufacturing and manufacturing in general, um, with the loss of jobs and that kind of thing, how do you feel about the Michigan or or the R.E. Olds Museum's kind of place in history as it might be um, documenting what was the beginning and possibly um, the end or the phase out of Michigan's auto manufacturing,
5: well, you know um, there there's going to have to be an awful lot of change to be able to have uh, no more auto manufacturing. Um, I think we just have to look at things differently in order to be able to do it. Um, but if you look at Michigan where there's really not a lot of opportunity for mass transit so you know there's a lot of people that live out in the country and and it just is not reasonable that you're going to be able to ride a bicycle or walk or take a bus or a subway so there's going to have to be something that continues on we pretty much know it's not going to be gasoline we don't know what it's going to be uh electric you know if you, it still takes coal which then pollutes the air also so um, you know, there's, there's got to be something that's going to be there for us, but what it is, we don't know yet. Just like we didn't know 30 years ago that we wouldn't be able to be uh, buying gasoline for under a dollar a gallon.
1: Yeah. You did talk about the two electrical cars you guys have. Um, are there any other alternative fuel or alternative energy vehicles that you have um, that, say, just focuses like you have, something that isn't necessarily gasoline? Well,
5: actually, the very first vehicle that Ransom E. Olds made was a steam vehicle. Uh, he he didn't he never thought that it was going to be gasoline. He did steam vehicle, then he did a gas vehicle, and then he did electric. And he still felt that it should go the other way, but um, you know, gasoline just really caught on. It was a cheap commodity back then. But uh, you know, people were riding horses back then, and he hated horses. He hated cleaning up after him. He hated being behind one. So basically, he started off with steam. The only problem with that is that it took so many hours to build up enough steam to make the vehicle move that uh, you know he he'd go just a few yards. He wouldn't be after hours of of doing the steam. So you know he was a very ingenious person back then. Um, and and. It'll continue on. We'll have more people thinking of new and different ways. Uh, uh, Did you think that you'd be able to put corn oil in a vehicle to make it run? You know, there's, there's just so many different things that will be available that we just don't know about yet.
1: Yeah. That's great. And, uh, my guest this evening has been Deborah. We're just about out of time. That's Deborah again from the RE Olds Museum. Their museum is putting on an event this Saturday, the Car Capital Celebration on Michigan Avenue in downtown Lansing from noon to 11 p.m. Bring your car if you're interested in getting involved. Deborah, thanks again for being my guest this evening. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. And my name is George. This has been Exposure. Be sure to stay tuned for more great music throughout the rest of the evening. Once again, this has been Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
0: Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.